Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Chicago's Legal Latte, a series of podcasts brought to you by Lavelle Law Limited. Throughout this series, the attorneys from Lavelle Law will share their answers to questions about a variety of topics for individuals and small businesses. To participate in today's discussion, you can email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com. Talk about end-to-end service. Um, we're going to have a great example of it today. Now, in the past, I've welcomed Attorney Jim Voigt to this podcast to discuss the right things to do when you're starting a business. Uh, today, we're going to allow Jim to demonstrate really his overall knowledge of the needs of a business as we go to the other end of that life cycle, and we're going to talk about the right things to do when selling a business. Uh, Jim Mitchell back with you again, and a and, uh, pleasure to be here, and a pleasure to welcome Lavelle Law Attorney Jim Voigt back, as I mentioned. Um, each time we do this, we have a great discussion uh, relative to a different business concept, and it's always very uh, fruitful and helpful. Uh, Jim, it looks like we've got a great topic today, so, so thanks for taking the time again to join me. Well, thanks for having me back on. Um, so, you know, for a successful business owner who, who has decided that it's time to move on to either, you know, other endeavors, they're going to just reap the profits of, of their hard work, or perhaps it's time to retire, um, do we just start with the assumption that it's a good objective to just get the highest purchase price you can and, and move on? You know, that's, boy, that's a tough question. There's a, that's a three-part or three-series podcast right there, right? So um, purchase price is a huge deal, right? It's, it's a huge deal. Uh, you want to get the most money that you possibly can. Um, I guess, you know, maybe the focus of this podcast is, well, how do we get that money? And it's not always just mm-hmm. a check that gets written at the closing. But purchase price is a big deal. Surprisingly, as I've been doing this now for a lot of years, I have found that it's not just the only aspect. There's oftentimes it's not even the most important aspect. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it is important to get the right purchase price. What we do, at least at our office, is try to work with clients over the course of a few years to get their business really properly set up and ready to sell so they can maximize that purchase price. But it's not the only consideration. Yeah, okay. Now I want to go back to something you mentioned already. You talked about financing and, and you know, how this gets done. Explain some of the different ways that, that you know, the financing of a purchase can be structured. Well, the simplest way is this. Let's just, for all of these examples, we're selling a business for a million dollars. The simplest okay. transaction is a buyer is going to write you a check for a million dollars at the closing out of his own funds, and that's it. Done. Mm-hmm. Uh, slightly more complicated is a buyer is going to borrow some money and is going to write you a check for a million dollars, and then it's done. But really the focus of this podcast is to talk about situations where the seller remains vested in how this business does after the closing for two possible reasons. One is what's called an earnout. So what an earnout means is that million dollar sale actually looks more like this. $600,000 at the closing table, and then the remaining 400,000 gets paid out in the form of say 2% of gross revenue for 2 years. And you know, that could be any number, but the idea is that you know, you're in theory going to get your million dollars, but a portion of it is only going to come as almost like a commission on the future success of the company. So that's one way that a seller can really be on the hook after the closing. Another way is just very simply that the buyer is going to come with $600,000 cash at the closing but doesn't have the rest of the purchase price, so he'll sign a promissory note for the remainder of that purchase price. 
So then, of course, the key is, you know, the seller wants to make sure they're finding the right buyer because we need somebody that can operate the business well enough to either A, produce a good burnout or a good earnout, or B, um, pay off that seller note. We don't want that person that's buying our business to just fail right away because we still have skin in the game after the closing. Yeah, and that sounds like there's a, a risk factor there. I, it also sounds like this, based on your experiences, is not uncommon. So that's, I guess, where we start to talk about making sure you find the right buyer if there is that, you know, X amount that still remains out there over some period of time. Exactly right. And it's a, it's actually not just a risk. It's a huge risk. Uh, we've had deals very much go south uh, after the closing and earnouts weren't fully uh, realized, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so really taking some care to make sure that you are finding exactly the right buyer, somebody who can really do a good job of running this business, in addition to somebody who just has money for the purchase price, is mm-hmm. really becoming more and more important these days. And it's funny because I, I was going to ask you a question, and I, I had sort of characterized it as a, as a seller being choosy, you know, and, and trying to find the right owner. But really under these conditions, you know, you definitely want someone that has – the same values and, and the same approach to service and, and customer retention that you've had because you need the business to continue. Exactly right. And actually, you're, you're right as well about sometimes a seller is just choosy. So mm-hmm. what we found in our experience is that very often sellers will say, well, what are you most worried about? And the assumption is, I want to get a lot of money. And really what the sellers will tell you is, gosh, I've been running this business for 40 years. I want to make sure that my kids are taken care of. I want to make sure that my employees are taken care of. They'll even say they want to make sure their vendors are taken care of. You know, my answer is, what do you care about your vendors? But they do. You know, they really care about all of these things because they've invested so much of themselves into this business. So another reason to be very picky about who it is that's buying your business is you would like to see this business continue to be operated with the same integrity, honesty, high standards, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the, the way you treated your employees, they're either treated as well or better, you know, that sort of thing. So a lot of times a seller is very concerned about that. And now, like you said, you're really getting into the character of the person who's buying your business, which is really important. We would encourage our clients who are selling businesses to really take some time to get to know this person um, that they're going to be selling their business to. There's also a little bit more of a very practical aspect to it that I didn't mention before, which is um, it's almost always the case that after the closing, the seller is going to stick around for at least maybe 30 days or 90 days just to help out with the transition. But it's becoming very, very common, or I shouldn't say becoming, it's been very common and still is for the seller to stick around for maybe a year or two or even three or four or five years after the closing as an employee. In other words, that person decided, I want to sell my business. I'm sort of done with being an entrepreneur, but I really like working. I don't want to have all the mm-hmm. struggles and hassles of, am I going to make payroll and all of this, but I want to stay in my business. I want to keep working for a while. Well, at that point now, you just sold your company to your new boss. So the character <laughs> of that person is really important. And there's a special twist on this. The average entrepreneur is, to be blunt, not very well suited to being an employee. That's why they started their own business. So they tend to be very independent-minded, et cetera. So you want to make sure that this person you're selling your business to, who really will be your boss, is is going to be compatible with your personality after the closing. Yeah, very interesting perspective on that. And we always get that when we talk to uh, Attorney Jim Boyd. He's, he's with us today. And if you, if you go back and look, we've got uh, really hundreds of our podcasts in this series and uh, always feel like we get a little more value when, when Jim joins us. 
uh, you're, you're kind of getting an example of that today as, as we listen in this conversation about serving business clients. Um, as I said, LavelleLaw.com has all of those past podcasts. It's got information on Jim's practice. Uh, I've got a, a video, a uh, number of articles he's written. Um, and if that's not enough, I know if you pick up the phone and call 847-705-7555, Jim's going to take a few minutes to talk to you and, and do a little consultation, meet with you if necessary to, to find out more about what your needs are. Um, you, you mentioned, Jim, a minute ago something that um, is interesting as well in that as part of a sale, taking care of the employees, regardless of the structure and how the payout takes place and whether or not um, uh, the original owner stays on, are there things they can do in the sale process in certain provisions that account for taking care of some or all employees after they're gone? Yeah, the most common thing that we'll see is that there'll be a provision in the agreement that says that the buyer, because especially depending, we can get in a little too much detail here, but if, depending on the type of deal it is, Technically, your company is going to stop existing, so all those employees will be out of job and have to be hired by the new guy. So we'll see, the most common thing we'll see is the buyer will have to agree to hire the new, these employees in good faith and keep them on for at least 30 days unless there's some extreme situation. So there's that protection there that at least they're not going to just completely clean house. Um, and that is often put into place for literally everybody that works at the company. Now, a lot of times when you see key employees, either C-level or vice president level or even sometimes a little below that, you'll actually – we can draft employment agreements with the, with the buyer so that they actually don't just have a promise of a job. They have a, a written contract for a job for a certain period of time after the closing. So you can do both of those. Mm-hmm. And, and as you – obviously those employees are key to where the company has, has reached or the point it's reached, and as is the owner's skill set. Does the owner, the seller, um, want to do some evaluation on the buyer? Because if it's an industry-specific where there's certain knowledge um, of, of a process or a material or some sort of service, um, I assume you, you kind of want to get someone who, rather than just has money to buy, has some knowledge of, of what they're getting into as well. It, it, it's often helpful. I would say, and I'm, I'm guessing here, these aren't scientific numbers, but 75% of the time, you have a, a seller is really looking for a buyer that knows the industry. Now, we do have what are called portfolio buyers, which are literally just people who kind of collect companies. Um, they mm-hmm. often do it within an industry, but they don't always. I would say the best answer to your question is this. If you're dealing with a buyer that is not at all familiar with your industry, then you really want to be sure that you have a, a clear understanding of how they're going to run the company and that they're going to take on the employees that you have working there particularly if there is an earnout or a seller's note where you're financially dependent on them to run the company well. You want to know that they're going to keep the team in place that you put together that's been running this place successfully. The other thing is, and this is why I say we like to prepare our clients for a period of a few years before we actually go to sell the company is, by the time you end up closing on that sale, as the owner, you will have wanted to put yourself in a position where you being missing from the equation doesn't tank the company. So it's really important to sort of work your way into replacing yourself uh, so that at the closing, there's not a huge vacuum of leadership or skills and abilities so that company can keep running after you're gone, particularly with a portfolio buyer, which may or may not have a ton of industry experience. It's funny, when when we look at the purchase side of things, um, we often hear the term due diligence that uh, you know a buyer wants to do due diligence make sure they know what they're getting 
it sounds to me like you're saying really that the seller needs to do that as well, but the seller is also running the company. Is that kind of where a, a good business attorney comes in, that while the process is being planned, that they can kind of be doing some of that on behalf of the seller? Yeah, there'll be some some of the due diligence that you would do on the buyer, especially if there's an earnout or if there's a, a seller's note, is going to be just some similar to what a bank would do, where you'll have your accountant look over their financial statements and see are these people financially sound. Like one example is, if somebody is going to be executing a, a, a seller's note and they're going to be owing you a portion of the purchase price, you want to see that they're financially sound enough that they have assets to back that up and they're not 100% dependent on running the business well to pay off that loan. So that's one of the kind of more typical things. I would say that not as much that the attorney would conduct the due diligence, but what an attorney can do that is experienced in this area, he can really help you identify the areas that you would want to dive into in order to really understand what's going on with that buyer. Uh, So it's more of an issue spotting sort of service as opposed to actually the attorney doing the due diligence themselves. And and we've got probably less than a minute left here, but let's just go back to a conversation we had in the past and give me just a quick thumbnail when when you're getting ready to sell what's a, what are some of the things you should be doing because because you basically want to make the the thing kind of shine to, to make it look good to a buyer right exactly right with limited time i'll say this clean tax records for three years all the goofy tricks that you did to save a couple of bucks on taxes none of that during the last three years very well organized documentation know where everything is and physically clean environment that's very underrated. But when a buyer comes in and your manufacturing plant is literally a disaster, it's going to drive down your price. Um, just hyper-organization. The idea is your business is what it's worth based on how much money it makes, but you will have an easier time attracting a quality buyer if you present a quality face of your business when they start looking around. Well, that's Attorney Jim Voigt. We're going to let him go, and as always, appreciate his time being with us. We'll wrap things up here. Again, you can learn more about Jim and the great work he does by visiting LavelleLaw.com. And uh, while you're there, be sure to check out our library of past discussions. We've got uh, quite a few for businesses and other topics, uh, all available at LavelleLaw.com. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Chicago's Legal Latte. If you have any questions or topics for a future episode, please call Lavelle Law Limited at 847-705-7555 or email us at podcast at lavellelaw.com.